Welcome to the inaugural podcast of 2X Wealth Group. This is Lisa James and my partner, Lori Zager. We are a team at Ingalls & Snyder LLC, who is a independent registered investment advisor located in New York. Today, we decided to do a podcast because we think it's easier for people to understand things on many different levels. In fact, we just had an interesting presentation with a educational institution where we told them we were going to try and explain what we were talking about in three different ways, in writing, verbally, and in charts. So we would address all different kinds of learning styles. And we thought it would be a great idea to do that as well for our clients and blog readers. So Lori and I have uh, academic backgrounds in economics, and sometimes we come at our blogs that way, and they can be a little academic. And we really want them to be friendly to everybody who reads them, regardless of their background. This is our attempt at becoming uh, a little bit more user-friendly. So in our presentation today, we're going to refer to a number of charts that can be found attached to this podcast or you can go to our website and under investor letters, first quarter uh, letter for 2022, you can find the charts as well. We call this the current market environment in 10 charts. So if you'd like, open the link in the description and follow along. So today, Lori was talking about how she felt about the market. I feel like I'm on an airplane and I'm on the runway and they won't tell me what's going on. I'm just sitting there. I've been sitting there for an hour, and I have no idea when we're going to take off. And even if they tell me, or even when they ultimately tell me what's going on, it doesn't make us take off any faster, but it sure makes me feel better. I feel like we're on the plane already in midair, and there's an awful lot of turbulence, and the plane is going up and down pretty regularly, just like the market. And the Federal Reserve Chair, Jay Powell, is our pilot, and we're just hoping that he may be able to make a soft landing. So we thought it would be best to just talk about all the elements of um, what goes into the market and how they are somewhat different today than they have been in the recent past. So the first thing we look at is bond trends. And our first chart is bond trends can last for very long time periods. One of the first things to know when talking about bonds is that their prices move in the exact opposite direction of their yields. And for the vast majority of people, this is not intuitive. So we can take an example of two bonds. One yields 8% and the other yields 10%. Lori asked Colin, who's doing our podcast today, if he would pay the same price for a bond that yielded 10% and one that yielded 8%. And logically, he said, no, I would pay more for the 10% yielding bond than the 8% yielding bond because I would get higher payments from it. So what do you do with that 8% bond? The only thing you can do in order to make it equivalent to the 10% bond is to lower its price. And that's basically what happens in the bond market when yields go up. Prices go down in order to make up for the fact that you're not getting as big an interest payment. And you can see that in the chart that we've put in front of you. The orange line is bond prices, and the yellow line is bond yields. So you can see this relationship where bond yields and bond prices go in different directions. 
So now that Lisa's explained it to you, just remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Yields and prices move in opposite directions. If you forget why, you can go back to the explanation, but uh, they do. And what else is interesting about this chart, I think, is that you can see that from 1946 till 1986, bond prices went down and yields went up. But for many of the people that are listening to this, they only remember bond prices going up, making money on bonds and interest rates or bond yields going down. So that's something that has changed dramatically in the last year. When we had a period of the Federal Reserve easing in order to stimulate the economy, we had falling bond yields. And during these periods, we still had fluctuations in the equity market where it would go up and down. Typically, when the equity market went down in price, bond yields would go down in yield as well. And as we just discussed before, this means that bond prices went up. And that meant that bonds would be a hedge for stocks. So when stocks went down, bonds would go up, and that would help your portfolio performance. So this is why most investment advisors recommended a 60-40 portfolio. Basically, you put 60% of your money into stocks, and you put 40% into bonds, and you could get a stock market kind of returns, but without the volatility that the stock market gave you. And so the first chart that's shown there, these are all courtesy of Strategus that we read quite frequently. It shows you that from 2009 to to present, those were years when the Federal Reserve was easing. And it, it shows pictorially how when stocks went down, bonds went up in price. When equity prices went down, bond yields also went down, which because prices moved in the opposite direction. Prices went up. Bond prices went up. But I think the most important point in this chart is the very last sentence, but not this time, because this is what has changed. Now, equity markets are falling, equity prices are falling, and bond yields are actually going up, which as we know now, means that bond prices are going down. So for the first time in a very long time, we have both falling equity prices and falling bond prices. And in fact, we note, we've noted in our more recent blog that both equities and bonds were down 9% last week, both of them, same amount. That's really a big change from the recent past. But it's not a big change from long ago past. So if we go back to other inflationary times, we show that bonds were not a hedge then either. And this is a chart, number three, again, uh, courtesy of Strategus. What's notable about this chart is that it is completely the opposite of the prior one, uh, except for the very last period. So you can see from 1965 to 1979, in those periods where you had a big equity sell-off in four different time periods, you also had bond yields rising. This is the reason that we don't think the most recent change is just a blip. We don't think it's just a blip. The bond yields are going up while equity prices are going down because we have evidence from the past, if we have some consistent inflationary periods here, 
that this trend will continue. And so it causes a complete rethink of the 60-40 portfolio and whether that really makes sense for people. And when we go into uh, the next few charts, we talk about the things that we think might be a better alternative than bonds. So the problem is, what do you do in inflationary times? I know Warren Buffett had his investor annual meeting in Omaha last weekend. I was lucky enough to go to one of those at one point. And he said, inflation kills everything. It hurts stocks, it hurts bonds, it hurts cash. So what do you do? Historically, commodities are one of the only things that's helped you in inflationary times. And we have some charts here from Wisdom Tree, which shows just how commodities have helped you. And particularly in high inflationary times, inflation over two and a half percent, but it's also rising. Then commodities have really been the way to try and protect yourself. And we think that what's gone on more recently is that there's been some structural underinvestment in commodities, and that's caused some supply shortages. So commodities are really determined by supply and demand. And I guess we want to talk about both of those things. On the demand side, you've been affected by things like the pandemic, the recent lockdown in China, everybody wanting to get out and travel again, new demand. And on the supply side, there's been some structural underinvestment as well as some supply shortages caused by the the pandemic. And some of these structural issues we don't think are going away anytime soon. And so we make the argument that commodities, investing in commodities could be a longer run than maybe um, one would think. So let's talk about some of the structural issues. In part, it's just been harder to find many different types of commodities. Copper would be one I would cite as well as, as oil and gas. And you can tell that because it seems to be costing a lot more, even when we didn't have inflation, to get another barrel of oil out of the ground. Plus, there haven't been any real discoveries of energy recently. I mean, we had the shale revolution. This is not a political statement about whether it was good for the environment or not. But the fact of the matter is it did help the supply of energy in this country. You haven't had any other really big discoveries in in quite a while. There's one in the Arctic that Russia has. But I heard a, a CEO of an energy company say yesterday that he thought the only excess capacity of oil in the world was really in Saudi Arabia and maybe the UAE. That's a problem. We haven't found it. And it can be argued that this trend towards ESG investing, which stands for environmental, social, and governance investing, investing in things that are clean, good for the environment, et cetera, has also exacerbated the problem uh, on the supply side. And that is because individual investors and, and institutions did not want to put money into companies that they thought created problems for the climate, and that included oil and gas companies. And so as a result, they didn't give money to oil and gas companies, and the oil and gas companies didn't drill. And instead, they were rewarded by their shareholders for increasing their dividends and returning cash back to their stockholders. The intent, I always say that people intend good things, but there's problems with even the best intentions. The ESG unintended consequences. Unintended consequences, right. The ESG investors 
were trying to clean up the climate by not giving money to oil and gas companies. So what happened last year, this is even before any war in Russia and Ukraine, the wind, believe it or not, did not blow in Northern Europe. And so they were short energy. And as a result, you saw them burning coal. So the intent was to clean up the environment by reducing people's dependence or using oil and gas. And instead, what people are using is coal. Lisa and I talk about this all the time. I think it's great that we have electric cars and, and Lisa even owns one. But the, the problem is to think that, it, that they're clean is kind of a half pregnant argument, if you will, because you have to plug those cars into the grid. And how does the grid get powered? Well, the grid is still being powered by oil and gas. And in some cases, unfortunately, even in this country, coal. And China's using coal also. So that's what we mean by an unintended consequence of ESG investors. But it's exacerbated the supply shortage in the oil and gas arena. And we think that this oil and gas move or its energy move is long lasting unless some big discovery happens. We've got very high, over $100 oil prices right now. And you have China in lockdown, which is one of the world's biggest economies is is not there. Plus, you haven't really had international travel come back. You've had domestic travel get better, but it really hasn't happened on the international side. And you're about to start the quote-unquote summer driving season in terms of vacations. So we think this energy situation, when we say energy, we're talking about oil and gas, could go for a long time. Now, there are other ways to solve it. I mean, you can do things like Germany can decide to not declassify or decommission, I guess, their nuclear plants. But, you know, there's resistance to nuclear as well in this country. So anyway, these are just examples of um, some of the commodities that we like. We also like copper, which is a beneficiary of electric vehicles, as well as building of industrial, it has industrial uses as well. So if we move on to chart number five, we've just showed you how commodities can perform better than stocks, but commodities can also perform better than bonds. And this typically happens in both a high and rising inflationary environment. So this is a pretty simple chart, and it basically is just showing when inflation is over two and a half percent and rising, which is what we've been seeing for the last year, commodities outperform bonds quite significantly by up to two to three percent. So if you look at at chart number six, it just shows that even though commodities have gone up quite a bit, there's still a lot more if you just look at historically how commodities have looked relative to the S&P 500. So it's just what this shows is the commodity index relative to the S&P 500 on a three-year rate of change. And it shows that although commodities have come up uh, from the bottom, you know, over 50%. There's a lot more room to run. And if you just look at oil, which we don't have a chart of, oil bottom as a percentage of the S&P recently at about 2% of the S&P. It's now about 4% of the S&P. What does that mean? If you look at the 500 largest companies in the United States and you add up all of their market capitalization, which is the price by the number of shares. You add them all up and you say, what percentage of those companies are in energy? What percentage is in healthcare? Blah, blah, blah. There are 11 sectors. And energy has been the smallest sector 
and I think it still is. I think it's still below materials at this point a little bit. They're neck and neck. So at one point, energy was 2% of the S&P 500. And now it's 4%. So even though it's doubled, if you go back and look historically, the average has been 11%. And if you look back in the 70s, where we had problems with energy, it was 27%. If you don't believe what I think about supply and demand and just look at regression to the mean and see where we've been, you can see that we think there's a lot more to go in energy. If we move on to chart number seven, we want to look at what is happening with price earnings multiples in the market. So first, just to explain what that means, price earnings multiple represents the stock price an investor is willing to pay for a given level of company earnings. It's a metric that's used all the time when looking at stocks and the stock market. And if you look at price earnings multiples over time, the average trailing PE of the S&P 500 is about 16. But you can break that down into pretty significant different tranches based on what inflation rates are. So in the chart below, you can see that when inflation is low, between 0 and 2%, which is where we've been for the last 10 years, the average uh, PE is about 18. And at times it was higher than that. But in higher inflation environments, you can see the PE goes down. So 2 to 4%, it's 17. At 4 to 6%, it's 15. And so a lot of people don't realize how much multiples can change over time and in different environments, and that it can actually be pretty directly related to inflation and interest rates. So the next chart is trying to explain basically what's going on today. And people could say, why is the market going down so much here today? It really can be explained by how much people are willing to pay for those earnings. Because if you look at chart number eight, it shows that earnings have actually been pretty good. They're, they're growing. But the amount that people are willing to pay for that level of earnings has gone down. And why has it gone down? Because interest rates have gone up. Just like you're willing to pay less for a bond that yields less, pays you less interest. Until this year, really, the Fed had been putting a lot of money into the financial system and everything went up, stocks and bonds, houses, all kinds of asset classes. But now the Fed is taking money out of the market. And when that happens, it causes problems in assets like stocks and bonds. So there's a really common expression in financial markets, and it's called don't fight the Fed. Because when the Federal Reserve is is active in markets, it's best to buy and sell securities based on their trends. So if we go back to the beginning of the COVID crisis, the Federal Reserve put a lot of money into the financial system. They bought bonds, they lowered interest rates. And when that happened, the whole market went up. The expression, a rising tide lifts all boats, comes to mind because stocks across the board went up. And that historically happens when the Fed eases. However, times have now changed. And in response to inflation being more persistent than they expected, the Federal Reserve is now doing the opposite. They're taking money out of the financial system by raising interest rates, and they're planning on selling bonds. So if you're not going to fight the Fed, 
you're going to get out of the market because the market trends tend to follow Fed activity. As Lori would say, when the tide goes out, we see who is swimming naked. And in this case, the stocks of unprofitable high growth companies plummeted. Actually, Warren Buffett used that statement. Was I it just, you? No, it was. <laughs> it was you? Buffett. It wasn't me. <laughs> so um, anyway, just like the turbulent plane or the plane that's sitting on the runway, we think that the current environment is challenging, but it's not going to last forever. In our closing charts, we remind investors of the long-term trends and equities. This is a chart from Bespoke Investment Group. Over the last 100 years, the market has gone up 52% to 100% of the time for a variety of time periods. And that's just the price. There's also the total return, which includes the dividend yields that you get on the stock market. And you can see you, you make money in the market and trying to know exactly when to add or sell is, as I tell Lisa, the graveyard is full of market timers. When you look at this chart and you see the increase in positive results from a one-month time frame to a 30-year time frame, it goes from 62% uh, to 100% success. This chart shows visually why advisors tell young people to put most of their money in stocks and why advisors in the past traditionally have reduced equity allocation as people's timeframes get shorter. The last chart just shows if you look out 16 years and all the periods over the last 100 years, according to Bespoke, you would have had a positive uh, return in the market. That doesn't mean that will always happen, but 100 years is a pretty long period to take 16-year increments in. So we're not saying we can predict the future, but the, the past history is pretty strong. I guess I want to say one other thing. If you invest in stocks, even though they're more volatile, there's multiple ways that you can make money. You can make money if the price goes up. You can make money if the price goes up just clipping your coupon if they pay dividends. You can make money if the dividend increases. And the price can go up for different reasons as well. It can go up because interest rates are going down, which is what happened recently. But it also can go up because the earnings outlook for the company has changed. So there's just a variety of ways that you can make money in the stock market. And we wrote a blog that I think is really interesting for people to look at, which is called volatility is not the same as risk. And the idea is that people often mistake it, but risk is the risk of permanent loss. Volatility just means things going up and down. And it's only a permanent loss. If your plane crashes. If your plane crashes. But as long as your investment advisor has attempted to make sure that you have enough cash to ride out the storms, it's really a good idea to stick with your plan. When advisors create a financial plan for clients and they look at, well, what percentage of equities and bonds and cash should an investor have, they often think about the risk tolerance that the investor has because some people, even though they might intellectually know that it's a good idea to have a lot of equities in their portfolio because that's the best way to make it grow, Viscerally, they have a real problem when stock prices go down and their portfolio loses money. And so in the end, we always have to pay attention to that risk tolerance because 
what happens when you become very, very uncomfortable is that people often sell at the bottom, which is what causes a permanent loss. So you really just never want somebody in the position where they feel so uncomfortable about their level of risk that they might take that step. And it is generally the job of an advisor to make sure that people don't do that because it harms their ultimate portfolio returns. My daughter, Haley, said that I needed a TLDR wrap-up. It stands for too long, didn't read. So we have three takeaways from this podcast. The first takeaway is bond prices and bond yields move in opposite directions. When bond prices go up, bond yields go down and vice versa. The second takeaway is while the Federal Reserve was easing, For most of the last 40 years, bond prices have been going up while stock prices were going down. That is no longer the case. Now both stock prices and bond prices are going down at the same time. So the traditional 60-40 portfolio that most money managers employed when the Federal Reserve was putting money into the system is no longer working. And lastly, commodities or something that has proven historically to protect you in high inflationary times, specifically when inflation is over 2.5% and rising. We hope you've enjoyed our Market in 10 Charts podcast. And uh, if you have, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to hear more or read more about financial markets, please subscribe to our blog. Our website is 2xwealthgroup at ingles.net. And we hope that you'll be reading and listening to us in the future. You also are welcome to contact us via email. We love talking about this stuff. And no question is too uh, elementary, I guess I should say. We want to explain it. And the reason that Lisa and I decided to do 2x Wealth Group was to try and educate people that felt naked when it came to financial matters. It's kind of like me when I take my car to the car mechanic and we don't want people to feel that. Our goal is to try and help uh, educate people and at least tell them when the plane's gonna take off (laughs) or why it's not taking off, I should say. You can find us at 2X Wealth. The actual website is the number two, the letter X, wealth, dot, ingles, I-N-G-A-L-L-S, dot, net. <laughs>